Amateur Radio Newsline report number 2414 with the release date of Friday, February 2nd, 2024 to follow in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The following is a QST. Arrests are made following the destruction of a radio tower. An island de-expedition becomes a memorial and a tribute. And in New York City, one school serves as a model for ham radio education. All this and more as Amateur Radio Newsline Report number 2414 comes your way right now. From around the world, this is Newsline. Amateur Radio's first independent on-the-air news and bulletin service. Now, reporting from Wadsworth, Ohio... Here's Stephen Kenford, N8WB. Our top story takes us to Oklahoma, where arrests have been made following the destruction of a broadcast radio tower. We have that report from Kent Peterson, KC0DGY. Two people have been arrested in Texas in connection with the recent theft of copper from a radio tower in Hugo, Oklahoma, last month. The Choctaw County Sheriff said that the two were identified by scrapyard employees in Paris, Texas, where one day after the January 15th incident, they tried to sell copper wiring from the coax line. Authorities said that the Payne Media Group, the broadcast station's owner, was contacted and confirmed that the copper had come from the tower for KITX, a 50,000-watt station serving southeast Oklahoma and northeast Texas. Paris, Texas is one of the communities in the station's coverage area. The station has been live-streaming and operating with limited broadcast range following the destruction of the tower. Its guy wires have been cut, and its backup generator also was destroyed. As Newsline went to production, charges were still pending. This is Kent Peterson, KC0, DGY. The spring semester is getting underway at Staten Island Technical High School in New York City, where in one class, becoming a licensed ham is part of the curriculum. We have those details from Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. 32 newly licensed hams are learning in one NYC high school that being a radio amateur is not just a textbook exercise. In the engineering classroom of Everton Enriquez KD2ZZT, they will be making use of HTs, repeaters, building directional antennas for fox hunts, and perhaps making a contact via the International Space Station's repeater. This school is the first in New York City that is being built into a model school, according to Steve Goodgame, K5. ATA. Steve, the ARRL's education and learning manager, said this is also the first NYC school to receive an ARRL grant for the STEM kits being used in the classroom, funded by Amateur Radio Digital Communications. Everton prepared for bringing radio operations into the classroom by attending the ARRL's Teachers Institute on Wireless Technology, held last fall at its headquarters. He told Newsline that for these juniors and seniors, past Passing the amateur radio license exam was a course requirement. It is his vision to show the kids what a difference a knowledge of radio and electronics can make in their lives. It opens up scholarship opportunities and later careers. For now, the homework assignment for everyone is to get on the air and show the rest of NYC's schools how it's done. This is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. For organizers and operators here in the United States and Canada, Winter Field Day is over. Teams will continue to send in their logs through the 1st of March, but Mike, W4OPS, told Newsline that 1,293 registered locations 
participated in the event on the 27th and 28th of January. 667 of those were clubs. Early results show that 54 countries appear in the log and several countries were hosting their own Winter Field Day operations. Mike told Newsline in an email, quote, We are very happy with the growth of the event, end quote. Planning has begun for next year when Winter Field Day will be held on the 25th and 26th of January. Meanwhile, the Indian media carried a report that amateurs in that nation also conducted an emergency preparedness exercise known as the ARSI National Field Day Contest. Hams from the Mangaluru, Amateur Radio Club, Manipal Ham Club, VU2MHC, the NITK System for Emergency Assistance, Response and Communication Hub, and the NITK Club Station, VU2REC, took part in the Amateur Radio Society of India's National Field Day on the 27th and 28th. A group of friends is about to begin a de-expedition that will fulfill the dream of one of its organizers, who was a noted ham in Chile. The trip will also serve as a memorial to him. Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF, brings us that story. The sudden and unexpected death of D-Expedition leader Marco CE1EW late last year seemed to leave the fate of the Robinson Crusoe Island D-Expedition in the balance. Marco had been organising this trip and coordinating the logistics with an eye towards activating In his honour, seven members of the team are making sure that the project goes forward. A report from Guillermo XQ3SA, the team's logistics leader, says that the equipment is being shipped to the island in the Juan Fernandez National Park in time to get on the air on February 10th. The activation of the call sign CB0ZA will continue through to the 24th and will be a memorial de-expedition. The team announced on the 17th of January that the de-expedition will also include an off-island team of more than 30 remote operators from around the world who will be making use of a radio in a box on FT8 and CW. This operation will have the call sign CB0ZEW. The next-gen rib will be taken by HAL W8HC from West Virginia to the island. Operators will access it remotely via Starlink satellite internet. The D-Expedition page on QRZ.com recalls Marco as, quote, an avid DXer, park activator, family man, but most of all, a terrific person, end quote. The team writes that their goal is to have his contributions remembered as, quote, the corner store of this, Marco's last de-expedition project, end quote. This is Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF. A busy satellite digipeter is scheduled to end its service, but AMSAT hopes the satellite operators will have a change in plans. Andy Morrison, K9AWM, has that story. AMSAT has made a plea to Sapienza Space Systems and Space Surveillance Laboratory to postpone its scheduled shutdown of the digipeter aboard the amateur satellite known as GreenCube, or IO-117. The satellite was scheduled to be decommissioned on the 5th of February. Radio operators around the world have been making use of its digipeter for QSOs for more than a year, including those for the high-profile TX-5S de-expedition on Clipperton Island in the Pacific Ocean. 
AMSAT said this marks the first activation in three decades of Clipperton Island via amateur satellite. In a January 25th letter requesting the decommissioning's postponement, AMSAT's president, Robert Bankston, KE4AL, reminded S5 Labs' GreenCube team that amateur satellites such as AMSAT Oscar 7 often enjoy extended lifetimes. The still active Oscar 7 was launched in 1974. AMSAT committed itself to involvement in helping manage GreenCube in cooperation with AMSAT Italia, S5 Lab, and other AMSAT organizations. He said in his letter that GreenCube, amateur radio's first medium Earth orbit satellite, has, quote, opened worldwide long-distance contacts via amateur radio satellite that had not been possible since the loss of AMSAT Oscar 40 in 2004, end quote. This is Andy Morrison, K9AWM. Time for you to identify your station. We are the amateur radio news unheard on bulletin stations around the world, including the K4EX repeater in Dade City, Florida, on Tuesdays after the 7 p.m. net. Does your amateur radio experience ever inspire a bit of poetry? Amateur Radio Newsline challenges you to immortalize that incredible QSO or fantastic antenna by participating in our weekly haiku challenge. Use the entry form on our website, arnewsline.org, and please follow the rules for writing your three-line haiku. We cannot accept any entries that aren't written in traditional haiku form. Visit our website and check out our previous winners. If you remember the show Ham Radio and More that was popular on commercial talk radio in the 1990s, you'll be happy to know it's back. Well, sort of. The Digital Library of Amateur Radio and Communications has gained more than 300 episodes of the program for its growing collection. The show's devotion to amateur radio eventually took it from its home studio in Arizona and landed it in national syndication as guests discussed the issues of the day. If you don't remember the show but think you might become a fan now, check it out by following the link that appears in the text version of this week's script at arnewsline.org. The FCC is investing in more resources to fight pirate radio in the U.S. Jim Dameron, N8TMW, has those details. The FCC is stepping up its pirate radio enforcement with four new hires and the purchase of six vehicles with mobile direction-finding equipment. The FCC outlined the move in the annual report its Enforcement Bureau makes to the United States Congress. The vehicles are to be equipped in 2024 and 2025, and additional hires will be made beyond the initial four. The FCC has been intensifying these enforcement efforts since 2020, the first year of a new law known as Preventing Illegal Radio Abuse Through Enforcement, known by the acronym PIRATE. The act set higher caps for fines, hiking them to $119,000 per day and $2.4 million total. It is not known, however, whether any of the fines imposed under the four-year-old act have yet been collected. The FCC is not authorized to collect the fines, which must be done by the U.S. Department of Justice by going to court. This is Jim Dameron, N8TMW. Soda is reaching new heights in Western Malaysia, and Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF, tells us how hams there are staying on top of things. Barely a month old, 
The West Malaysia Sota Association is growing its membership and encouraging hams to join if they are interested in chasing or activating mountain summits as a portable operation. The association's manager, Piju 9M2PJU, provides hams in Malaysia with an introduction to the history and importance of the worldwide award scheme which began in 2002 in the UK. It now covers more than 150,000 summits around the globe. Piju is the Malaysian coordinator for communication with other SOTA organisations and his role is to ensure Malaysian SOTA ops follow all relevant regulations and standards. Piju said that the West Malaysia region has 373 summits. He is encouraging interested hams in Malaysia to register and create a free account on the SOTA websites, which provide lists of valid summits, their locations, elevation and point values. The West Malaysia SOTA Association launched on the 1st of January and does not include the two Malaysian states that belong to the East Malaysia SOTA Association. Bonuses will be given to hams who activate during the monsoon season or during other harsh weather conditions. This is Jim Meachin, ZL2BHF. If working state QSO parties during the year is among your weekend amateur radio pursuits, there's a new challenge you might want to tackle. It involves bringing your fellow hams along for the ride. Amateur Radio Newsline Mark Abramovich, NT3V, has the story. The people behind the state CUSO party group have thrown down the gauntlet to QPers, as they're being called, across the U.S. and Canada to gather your friends together to compete in the state CUSO party club challenge. Dave Edmonds, WN4AFP, director of the group formed in 2020, tells Newsline the goal is to generate more activity in the 47 CUSO parties held during the year. The invitation is open to all, meaning you don't have to be an entrant in a particular contest. Just get on the radio and make contacts by scanning the bands and work any state CUSO party station. Edmund says a major sponsor supporting plaques and certificates wants you to work the CUSO party in your home state, as well as those in a couple of other states. He told Newsline that the State CUSO Party Club Challenge, which was launched in early January, would like to recognize not just individuals, but radio clubs for getting members on the air to have some fun chasing home, mobile, rover, and portable stations. Some of them operate from rare counties. As you and your fellow club members are making contacts, he says there's a component for competition between individual club members as well. All county hunters have a chance to pick up a bunch of new counties in pretty quick order. Of course, if you're still chasing the Worked All States Award, this is an opportunity to fill in the gaps on some of those hard-to-find states. Edmund says the club challenge runs from February 3rd until November 30th. You'll find more at the link posted in the text version of this week's newscast at arnewsline.org. I'm Mark Abramovich, NT3V. In the world of DX, a team of 15 operators from various regions of India will be activating Nakaguntu Island IOTA number AS199 with a call sign AU2RS between the 23rd and 25th of February. 
The operators will be using CW, SSB, and FT8 on 160 to 6 meters and via satellite QO100 with five stations. The operators hope to be first to activate the island on a digital mode and via QO100. See QRZ for details, QSL via M0OXO. Be listening for BJ, WA7, WJR, operating as DU3 slash WA7, WJR, while operating holiday style from the Philippines. He will be on the air from the 4th to the 9th of February, operating CW, SSB, and some digital modes on 20, 17, 15, 12, and 10 meters. His trip will include the Governor Macario Arnetto Park, POTA, number DU0082, and the Mount Ariat National Park, POTA, number DU. 0002. CQRZ.com for QSL details. Although the commercial use of Morse code in the U.S. can only be found in history books these days, radio listeners around the world enjoy a tribute recently to that long-gone practice. Ralph Squalacci, KK6ITV, gives us the details. There was no international intrigue, just some entertainment and a challenge, as radio listeners copied a series of Morse code messages that employed methods once used by Cold War-era stations. Numbers in clusters of five were sent over commercial HF frequencies using RTTY and CW on the 20th of January from historic Maritime California station KPH. This was the third such cryptography event by members of the Maritime Radio Historical Society, which was created in 1999 to preserve the tradition of maritime Morse code. The Society estimates that about 150 people participated from around the world. The station is located at Point Reyes National Seashore, and it is a National Park Service historical site. Of course, the Society doesn't have to wait for one of its events to send Morse code. Volunteers get on the air on the Society's amateur station, K6KPH, where they send CW the old-fashioned way, by hand. This is Ralph Squillacci, KK6ITB. With thanks to the Amateur Radio Daily, AMSAT News Service, ARRL, CQ Magazine, David Behar, K7DB, Digital Library of Amateur Radio and Communications, DX World, Everton Enriquez, KD2ZZT, FCC, Maritime Radio, Historical Society, Piju, 9M2PJU, QRZ.com, Radio Inc., Radio World, ShortwaveRadio.de, Steve Goodgame, K5ATA, Soda Reflector, Winter Field Day Association, Wireless Institute of Australia, Worldwide DX, YouTube, and you, our listeners. That's all from the Amateur Radio Newsline. We remind our listeners that Amateur Radio Newsline is an all-volunteer, non-profit organization that incurs expenses for its continued operation. If you wish to support us, please visit our website at arnewsline.org and know that we appreciate you all. We also remind our listeners that if you like our newscast, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you subscribe to us. For now, with Karen Eve Murray, Katie 2 GUT at the news desk in New York and our news team worldwide, I'm Stephen Kinford, NAWB in Wadsworth, Ohio, saying 73. As always, we thank you for listening. Amateur Radio Newsline is copyright 2024, all rights reserved.